So good morning, listeners, and welcome to another edition of Come and See Inspirations, coming to you from our Come and See studio here in Arden, County Limerick. And this is on the 27th of January. It's a third Sunday in ordinary time. And this has been broadcast on West Limerick 102 on Sacred Space, West Limerick 102, a community radio station in County Limerick. It broadcasts, of course, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and 11 p.m. Just to explain to listeners again, Come and See Inspirations, well, actually, it's a, it, it's a podcasting team based here in Ada in West Limerick. Our team includes uh, Shane Ambrose, our blog editor and researcher. Good morning, Shane. How are you? Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good, thanks. Also by Anne, uh, Anne Keely, my wife, sitting next to me here, a prayer guide and the one who's trying to keep us all going in prayers here. Good morning, Anne. How are you? Morning, John. Morning, listeners. And Lorraine uh, Buckley usually shares uh, shares the, the, another seat here inside the studio with us. Unfortunately, she, uh, Lorraine couldn't join us join with us as we were reporting uh, as we were recording this particular episode. Uh, but I met her early on during the week, and we recorded um, uh, some catechesis that she's going to share with us later on. But in the meantime, just to welcome again listeners near and far, those who are listening in County Limerick and those of those of you who are listening to us on the internet, it's somewhere out there in, uh, um, it could be the far end of the world, it could be China. I know we were touched by China during the week and we were touched by Brazil during the week. But those of you who especially are sick and lonely and can't get out of the house today, our recordings are, are available as a podcast on the internet for those who are far away. Really, the best way of doing it is to is to Google "Come and See Inspirations," and really from there, just click on there, and it'll be led through to our podcasting site. There, also available on iTunes by searching "Come and See Inspirations," and also on our blog, which is which is www.sacredspace102.blogspot.com. Now, at this part of the program, Shane uh, usually shares with us some saints for the week. Shane, who got to join us this week, please? So, John, uh, this week's, <coughs> excuse me, we're into the third week of Ordinary Time. So the time is moving on in January. So for those praying the Psalter, we're on week three. Now, obviously, this Sunday, before we go any further, just to remind people, of course, that Pope Francis is in Panama for the World Youth Day 2019. And uh, so there will be, report, obviously, the reports of that will be in uh, some of the media uh, over the over these couple of days. Now, in terms of saints of the week, John, <coughs> excuse me, I have a bit of a frog in my throat this morning. <clears throat> so on Monday the 28th we have the great doctor of the church Thomas Aquinas St. Thomas Aquinas the great Dominican saint born in Italy in 1227 died in 1274 Thomas of course his great contribution is his way of bringing faith and reason together for the study of theology and he taught that Christian revelation and human knowledge are aspects of a single truth and are not necessarily in conflict with one another. And he is the patron saint of university students and booksellers, if anyone owns the bookshop out there. Then on Tuesday, which is the 29th, with the feast day of St. Dallin Forgal, now otherwise known as St. Dallin Forgela, son of Colin MacArk and Forgela, related to Irish royalty and to St. Aidan of Ferns. He was a student, unfortunately, who went blind, some said it was due to his too much reading. He was very much chief bard and poet of Ireland in 575, and he reformed the bardic order, helping to preserve Gaelic language and literature. And he died, he was beheaded by pirates in 598 at the monastery of Inish Keel. And legend says uh, his head was thrown into the sea, washed back up on the shore, and reattached so that he could cons- consider continue reciting poetry. On the 30th, we have the feast. We have two. Uh, we have a number of feasts in the Irish calendar. 
we have St. Aidan, who is very much associated with County Cavan, <clears throat> uh, studied under St. David in Wales, and he died in 626. We also have uh, blessed two of the Irish martyrs, that's Blessed Margaret Ball and Blessed Francis Taylor. These were the martyrs beatified by John Paul II in 1992. Margaret Ball is an interesting one. She was imprisoned for teaching Catholicism and Hebrew priests and having mass celebrated in her own uh, her own house. Now, the issue with poor Margaret is the fact her son was the Lord Mayor of Dublin at the time that she was imprisoned, and he did nothing to help his mother. She died in Dublin Castle in 1584. Francis Taylor was elected mayor in 1595. He died um, after seven years in prison in 1621 at the age of 70. On Thursday next week, we have a very popular saint, John. It's the feast day of St. Don Bosco, or John Bosco, founder of the Salesians, uh, to educate boys for life. And he's obviously very much involved with publishing catechetical material. And he's the patron saint of youth and of Catholic publishers. And then, of course, John, that moves us into February, the first day of spring. Where did the time go? It's here amongst us already. And, of course, being the first of February, it's Law Fail of Bridget, or St. Bridget's Day. Bridget, of course, secondary patron of Ireland. Abbess in Kildare founded what was a joint monastery, both for men and for women. Very much so. She was born around 454, died around 524. And her cult or her, the devotion to her is widespread, not only throughout Ireland, but, of course, in several European countries as well. And, of course, the main thing we associate with St. Bridget's Day, is St. Bridget's Day, of course, is the making of the St. Bridget's crosses, which, of course, have various designs uh, in different parts of the country. Uh, then, uh, John, next Saturday is the 2nd of February and it is the presentation of the Lord, the Feast of the Presentation. Uh, it is Candle Mass Day. The candles will be blessed for use in the church and home throughout the year. It's also the World Day of Prayer for Consecrated Life and it's very much a day associated in the old calendar as the last day of Christmas. So some churches may still have the Christmas crib up. They'll come down next Saturday. And that's the liturgical calendar for the week, John. Shane, thank you so much for that. Um, just to advise listeners, just before I forget, especially those who are listening to Sacred Space uh, and West Limit 12 Local Radio, if you do want to text us with any comment at all, 087-6088-667. That's 087-6088-667. Now, just before we go for uh, a little prayer uh, from Anne, just to uh, just one little bit of notice that, again, I want to mention, I know I mentioned it last week, about Radio Maria. We'll say more about it later on, uh, maybe next week. But if people want to listen to Radio Maria, it, it's good Catholic uh, listening on radio. It's on server, which is on your uh, on your digital TV. If you're onto RTE1, you go up for RTE2, for instance. If you come back, you get Channel 210, which is Radio Maria Ireland. You don't need an internet. It's on 24-7. Beautiful time. Just to let people know, Mass is on there actually every morning at 10 o'clock. So at this part of the program, we might ask Anne to pray this prayer, which is for those who can't receive Jesus at Mass this morning. Thanks, Anne. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul, since I now cannot receive you sacramentally. Come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Anne. 
So now, as promised, uh, Lorraine Buckley uh, joined me in studio here during the week and to continue on where she started last week, she, she was going to introduce us to, to some virtues and uh, the theological virtue of faith this week was her topic and this is what she spoke to me about. So today we're continuing uh, looking at the virtues and last week, of course, we looked at what virtues are and we saw that a virtue is habitual, meaning... It is a good we choose to do, not once or twice or even three or four times, but over and over again until it becomes second nature to us. To be a virtuous person involves a firm disposition to do the good in every situation. And in doing so, we give the very best of ourselves. Today, we are going to look at the theological virtues. Now, what does that word theological mean? Theo means God and Logos means word or understanding. So the theological virtues are those which relate us to God in a personal relationship. Now, we might not know the term theological virtues, but we have often heard them named faith, hope and charity. The theological virtues, they're free gifts from God. We can't get them by our own effort. God gives them freely to us in baptism. When we are baptised, God infuses or plants in our soul faith, hope and charity to make us capable of acting as his children and of meriting eternal life. They help us to live in relationship with God the Father, the Son and Holy Spirit and they are a sign that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. Today we're going to look at the theological virtue of faith. In the Catechism, we read that faith is the theological virtue by which we believe in God and believe all that he has said and revealed to us and that the Holy Church proposes for our belief because he is truth itself. Faith, then, is the gift by which we believe in God first and foremost. That is, we believe in God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And then we believe all the truths that God has revealed to us through scripture and the church because God has revealed it to us. And why do we believe what God reveals to us? Well, Jesus tells us that he is the truth. In St. John's Gospel, we are reminded that Jesus described himself as the way, the truth and the life. The truths that God reveals to us are true because God can neither deceive nor be deceived. The theological virtue of faith goes one step further. It is not enough to believe in God and in what he has revealed to us. It must prompt us towards action. Last week we saw that it was not enough to do good. It was not enough to want to do good. We must actually do the good in concrete actions in order to practice a particular virtue. So how do we practice the virtue of faith? In the Catechism we read again, By faith, man freely commits his entire self to God. For this reason, the believer seeks to know and do God's will. Faith prompts us to give our entire selves to God and to seek to know and do God's will in every situation. But what if you're sitting at home this morning and perhaps you're thinking to yourself that I'm barely hanging on to my faith by my fingertips? Well then... I encourage you to entrust yourself to God. Recommit yourself to him. Renew your baptismal promises. Trusting in God involves an act of the will. In other words, it is something we choose to do even though we might not feel like it. We should pray for the gift of faith. 
One of the most beautiful prayers in the whole of Scripture is the prayer of the man with a son who had a dumb and deaf spirit in him. First the man says to Jesus, If you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. If you are struggling to hang on to your faith, then join your prayer to the prayer of that father and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Another way we can increase our faith is to seek to know and do God's will. How do we do this practically? Well, thank God, we have the gift of a conscience. That is the gift that helps us to know right from wrong. So at a very basic level, we can listen more closely both to our conscience and to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, who is constantly revealing to us little ways of doing good. We can increase the gift of faith in us by reading scripture, by informing ourselves on what church teaching is, especially in those areas where we might be struggling a bit. And there are many free resources on the internet to help us in that. Talks and websites, podcasts, even our own podcasts. The gift of faith can be lost if we commit grievous sin. That's major sin. Or if we commit a lot of little sins over time. So perhaps it is time for us to return to the sacrament of reconciliation through which God's love and mercy are poured out upon us and the theological virtues are renewed in us. In fact, all of the sacraments both express our faith and increase our faith. Every time we go to Mass with the right disposition, our faith is increased by listening to the readings and receiving Jesus in Holy Communion. We can increase the gift of faith by practising works of charity. In his letter, St. James reminds us that faith apart from works is dead. So we put our faith into practice by doing works of charity, for example, visiting our elderly or lonely neighbours, maybe putting a little money away each week for trokra or giving it to local charities, making little sacrifices throughout our day. We don't have to wait until Lent to maybe give up that first cup of coffee in the morning or whatever it might be. And most importantly, choosing to forgive again and again. Finally, the disciple of Christ, the Catechism says, must not only keep the faith and live it, but also profess it, confidently bear witness to it and spread it. We need to profess and bear witness to our faith. This might not mean standing up on a soapbox in the middle of town, but it does involve bearing witness to our faith among our family and friends and within the community. It is not popular to witness to your faith on certain issues in Ireland at the moment. Faith does not ask you to get into arguments with people, but to calmly say why you believe what you believe. And this brings us back again to the importance of seeking to know and do God's will. It is hard to give an account of our faith if we don't know why we believe what we believe. But we must remember that Jesus does not abandon us. He promised to send us the Holy Spirit whom we also received at baptism. And Jesus tells us that the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, our next piece of music, our first piece of music rather, is Faith of Our Fathers by James Kilban. (laughs) 
mothers living still in spite of dungeon fire and sword oh how our hearts beat high with joy when hear that glorious word faith of our fathers holy faith we will be true to thee till death we will be true to thee till death So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose on the other end of the Skype line. And Shane, you have a, you got another guest for us again this week. Do you mind introducing your guest, please? No problem, John. So we're delighted this morning to welcome Father Brendan Coffey. Good morning, Father Brendan. How are you keeping? Good morning, Shane. I'm very well. And thank you for inviting me to, to talk with you. Thanks very much. Now, what people probably didn't re- what, what may not realise is Father Brendan is the abbot of uh, Glenstall Monastery, our local uh, Benedictine uh, community in East Limerick in Maru. So we asked him on this morning um, to share with us, I suppose, what it is, I suppose, Benedictines bring to modern Ireland today. And to share with us, uh, I suppose, uh, what it is, I suppose, to be a Benedictine in the modern world. But I suppose, Brendan, um, that kind of brings us around to the very first question. Maybe for people who might not be familiar with the community, except maybe through the CDs or whichever, um, who are the Benedictines? 
Well, the simplest way to answer that question is to say that Benedictines are monks who follow the rule of St. Benedict. Mm. Um, St. Benedict was uh, born in the year 480 um, in Norcia, so a very, very long time ago, and he died in 547. So he lived mostly in the 6th century. Um, now, people may have heard of Norcia because a few years ago, uh, it's in Italy, a few years ago there was a, a very bad earthquake there, and it was on the news a lot at the time, so the, the name might be familiar. But Benedict, um, as a young man, went to Rome, and he was very disillusioned by what he saw there as a student, and so he went out into the wilderness in a place called Subiaco, and he lived as a hermit for a while. And then eventually a small community formed around him. And as he became more and more famous, it grew. And there were, in the end, 12 small monasteries of monks in that little valley. And he ran into various difficulties there um, with uh, some of the local clergy, um, largely through jealousy and so on. And he decided that the easiest thing for him to do was to move. So he went south and eventually settled in a place called Monte Cassino, where he built his final monastery on the top of that mountain, mm -hmm. and that's where he wrote his rule. Okay. So Benedictines basically are monks who follow this rule that Benedict wrote towards the end of his life. Okay, so in terms of, so the rule, the rule kind of, what is the rule? You know, um, what, what, what does it entail? What does it cover? Uh, and, you know, a document that was written almost 1,500 years ago, you know, mm. you, still, you still use it today? Yes, very much so. Um, the rule covers basically everything um, that uh, you need for a group of people, either men or women, to live together in uh, a certain uh, kind of monastic way of life. Mm. So it covers mm. all sorts of ordinary things. Um, it covers things like the times that you eat. It covers um, how people uh, should relate to one another. It covers what jobs people should be assigned in the monastery. It covers the rhythm of life within the day. Um, and it, it gives lots of practical advice about how to deal with very ordinary issues. Mm. So it's, it's not just... Um, uh, it's not really a document that's highly intellectual or even um, on the face of it uh, a great spiritual document. It's really very, very practical. He was a very practical sort of person. And as he wrote it near the end of his life, mm -hmm. um, it contained what he had learned over the course of his life. Because mm. like everybody else, he'd made mistakes. So mm. he found out what worked and what didn't work. And at the time, there were lots of different rules like this. Um, but because the rule that Benedict wrote was so wise, it has stood the test of time. And where the others have kind of uh, fallen away, mm -hmm. this one has been adopted almost universally. He didn't write it with the intention of it becoming a rule that everybody in the West was going to follow. He, he just wrote it for his own community. Mm -hmm. But what has actually happened is that uh, practically all monks of the Western Church follow this rule, oh. uh, right down to today. 
Okay. Even if they're not, if you like, members, directly members of the Benedictine community? Yes. For example, Cistercians, Trappists, uh, also follow the rule of St. Benedict. And in that sense, they too were Benedictine. Um, and versions of it um, lie at the basis of uh, the rules that uh, lots of other religious orders um, uh, use. So its, it's, it's influence has been enormous. Mm. Um, and in terms of, uh, you know, you, you know as, as, as a Benedictine, as a monk yourself, as the abbot, as the leader of your community, you know, obviously, and you know, having lived the, the rule for the for the many years you've been in community, do you think that the rule offers something to lay people in the outside world? Um, yes, um, we find that there's certain sort of underlying values mm. um, that are of use to people. Um, regardless of your choice in life. So obviously the rule is designed for people who are living monastic life, which mm -hmm. is a very particular type of life, and 99% of the population um, don't live a monastic life, and <laughs> that has been the case right throughout history. Um, most <coughs> nuns leading monastic life have always been a tiny fraction of the population. It's, 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 it's not something for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but the sort of the, the underlying um, values that the rule contains can be used by anybody. So, for example, um, St. Benedict is very strong um, on the uh, principle that you should never make a decision, an important decision about anything, without first taking advice. So he gives this as a kind of a principle to the abbot, but it also applies to everybody else in the community, that if you're going to make a decision, you should first go and take advice. Um, and his, his uh, basic uh, idea is that if you do everything with advice, you won't regret it afterwards. You'd be more likely to make the right uh, choice. That's so that's one thing. Mm -hmm. um, he's also very strong in the rule of taking care of people at both ends of life. So the very young and the elderly. Mm. And that was unusual, particularly for his um, uh, time, that somebody would um, place such emphasis on the young and the old because they were not regarded as being terribly important um, back in the 6th century. Um, but in his rule, they get very special um, attention. And that's something that uh, we can... Uh, learn from today too that uh, people at both ends of life the very young and the elderly are two categories that need um, special care not only from the point of view of their physical needs but also that they, they, they need to have their say in um, uh, our society how things work just because somebody is very young or very old doesn't mean that they can't have a good idea for example mm. <laughs> so 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 this is this is very much uh, uh, another of his underlying principles but the main thing the rule is noted for is balance and moderation that a life should be balanced and that everything should be done in moderation he was opposed to excesses so he wouldn't have been into um monks becoming workaholics, he would have mm. seen that as being bad, um, that you shouldn't do anything to excess, that uh, the secret to um, uh, 
a successful life and a happy life is moderation and balance. And another thing then would be his idea of obedience. Um, Obedience not only to the abbot, the superior, but his idea of obedience is that the monks should be obedient to one another. And by that he meant um, the word obedience comes from a, a Latin word, obodire, which means to listen to. So in other words, what he's saying is that people should listen to one another. And there's a difference between hearing what someone is saying and actually Mm. listening to it. So by listening to other people, in other words, by becoming aware of the fact that there are other people, that I'm not the center of the universe, trying to understand other people, that if we approach life in that way, and if we approach uh, the people that we live with every day or work with every day in that way, that we try to understand them, Uh, that it avoids a lot of unnecessary hassle and conflict. So Mm -hmm. all these different things are things that anybody can put into practice. Very much so. I I was just thinking that, you know, in terms of um, looking at, you know, some of the contributions of of a a monastic community to the wider world, you know, there's there's a lot of, if you like, uh, common sense. And and yeah. uh, in what in what you you know in what you said, you know um, moderation, listening to community, listening in community, seeking advice. You know, you just looking around the world with us around us today, you'd be kind of thinking to yourself, mm, maybe some people that we see, particularly in the media, might want to take some of it on board. But <laughs> you know, it just 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 looking at it like. But you said at, at the start that you know the community, the Benedictine community, is a monk living under the rules. So I suppose that brings us to the other part of it. People might be a bit confused. Um, you know, someone actually said to me today she was when she was talking in the context of uh, uh, re- female religious, and she said, mm-hmm. "I'm no longer sure what's the difference between a nun and a sister." So I'm going to put it to you: what's the difference between a monk, a friar, and a priest? <laughs> okay, well. Um, well, we started. We started the last one. <laughs> right. I think most people know what a priest is. Uh-huh. Um, a priest is, is somebody who's ordained to the priesthood, mm. um, and that uh, that person can be um, can be any of the other categories you mentioned. So right. you have like like people's uh, diocesan clergy, parish mm-hmm. clergy, uh, are are not monks or religious of any description. They're, okay. they're secular clergy, but they are priests. So whether someone is a priest or not a priest is, is one thing. Um, and any of the other categories, you can have people who are, who are um, priests or who are not priests. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a thing in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between a monk, a friar, <laughs> and um, what was the other one you said? A nun? The, the, uh, no, no, the monk, a friar, uh, the priest was the three. We'll, we'll stay, let's, okay. stay with the one, let's stay with the one gender. Let's not confuse okay, the Okay, yes, okay. So, so the, the, the difference between a monk and a friar. Um, a friar is a mendicant. Mm. Um, a mendicant means, uh, so you have different types of friars. So the, the ones people would be most familiar with um, uh, in this part of the world certainly would be Franciscans, Dominicans, um, Augustinians. Uh, they're friars. So mm. friars are what are uh, what we call mendicants. So mendicants, um, they they all more or less developed around the 13th century. Um, so you have Saint Francis, Saint Dominic. Um, that was basically their period in history, mm-hmm. um, and. 
the idea was that they were a form of religious life um, which wasn't uh, linked to uh, one particular spot. In other words, they, they moved around and they were also uh, a group that embraced poverty, so they didn't own property. Um, and they survived on basically charity handouts um, from people. So they were wandering preachers, essentially. Mm -hmm. So friars are basically, that, that's basically what originally a mendicant mm -hmm. um, was. Whereas a monk was a very different thing. Mm. A monk is very tied to one spot. Mm. Um, so you don't just join an order when you become a monk. You join an actual abbey, a monastery. And you always belong to that same community. So even if you're somewhere else for a while, say, to do your studies or for whatever reason, you still only belong to the community that you joined. Okay. So uh, monks, whether they be Cistercians or Benedictines, monks um, don't move around like other religious. Mm. You always belong to the house you join. Um, except like for a family. Rare... Yes, exactly. Mm. So, okay. so it's it's not just a question of wanting to be uh, a monk. It's a question of wanting to be a monk in a particular place. Oh, so, okay. And, so does... and monks lead a very ordered life, mm. which uh, is regulated, as I said, by the rules. So there's very regular periods during the day where the community goes to the church to pray together. Mm. A mendicant leads a freer sort of existence. Okay. Uh, and they're not as tied to that monastic rhythm, which frees them to do uh, preaching and teaching if you're Dominican. Um, mm -hmm. And it frees them up to be more, uh, to have more of a pastoral outreach. Um, whereas the monk in the monastery is uh, more tied to a very particular kind of life in the monastery. If that explains the difference to you. I, I, I hope it does for our listeners. And I, I, it kind of leads me on to my next question, which are kind of, which are kind of interlinked. I mm -hmm. suppose some people would say, looking at the world around us today, and, I, and I've, I've had people, you know, people who, are, who would be, you know, well, well in tune with their religion and, or their mm -hmm. faith, and they turn around and they say to me, well, you know, when you look at those all those enclosed orders, you know, or the the, 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 the the people in those monasteries, would they not be better off helping the poor out in the streets like, you know, Mother Teresa? Like, you know, what's the point of a, what's the point of a monk? Mm -hmm. um, well, that's a very interesting question. Um, <laughs> even, even, though, even, the way, uh, even the way you ask it, what's the point of a monk? Mm. Um, if, if you were to ask, what's the point of anybody? What's mm. the point of... You see... I think I think today people mix up function and meaning. Um, that if you ask somebody today, um, who are you? They'll say, oh, I'm a teacher, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a pilot, or whatever it is. Um, but that's not who they are. That's what they do. Mm. And there's a difference. Okay. Um, and a monk is not about a function. So if I was to be very uh, smart, I could answer your question, what's the point of a monk? I could say there's no point. Okay. Which a, is monk does, a monk doesn't have a function. Mm. Um, a monk has, has, a, has, a, has a meaning. 
um, in the same way that a mother or a father has a meaning, that a family has a meaning. Um, if you really wanted to tell me who you were, if somebody asked you, who are you, then you'd say, I'm somebody who's married to whatever, uh, with three children, and then I happen to be a nurse, or I happen to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, but one is what you do, the other is who you are. And monastic life, being a monk, is who you are. And then each monk has a job as well. So some of the monks in our community are teachers, some work in administration, some um, work in the monastery itself, in the kitchen, um, in the library, some work with the guests in the retreat house. So that's their job. Mm. But who they are is a monk. So I'd make a distinction between those two things mm -hmm. because I don't think they're the same. And But the, the, the other side to the question you were asking is why don't... Um, wouldn't it be better mm -hmm. if we kind of left the monastery? Well, um, that's one way of looking at it. But the, 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 I suppose the real, the real question is this. Um, monastic life, if you feel that it is something which has value in itself, which obviously people who are monks and nuns do, um, <laughs> uh -huh then you become a monk because you want to lead a monastic life. Mm. And it has always been the case um, in Christianity, as in almost every other world religion, that there are always two um, parts to the church. Mm. There's always an active part and there's also a contemplative part, and it's been like this from the very beginnings. And you find the same sort of thing in other religions. Um, and that the one, it's not that one is better than the other, it's just that the two are necessary. Because <laughs> it, it, I suppose monastic life is there to remind people um, of what is actually at the core of life. It's, it's about the questions, I suppose the big questions of life um, that sometimes get lost in all the noise. Mm. Um, and monastic life is not a selfish thing. It's not, uh, monasteries are not closed in on themselves. Um, monasteries are usually full of people who come to stay for a while, who come on retreats, who come for day visits, who come to share in the liturgy, um, precisely because there's something that uh, they feel a connection with, that they see is a value. Mm. And um, the church needs both. And it would be a mistake, I think, to plunder one in order to shore up the other, mm -hmm. because both are necessary, and kind both have like, always been present. Mm, there's there's two analogies that strike me about. Of course, there's that grace one that John Paul II used, but he was referring, of course, to the the, the unity of the churches, breathing with both lungs. Uh, yeah. But as, yeah, but there's also, I suppose, the 
uh, the, the great analogy from the gospel, of course, which is the Mary and Martha uh, oh, analogy that's yeah. used. Unfortunately, Father Brendan, we're caught with time this morning, and there was, there was, there's. Uh, we'll have to bring you back on again because there were <laughs> other things. There were other things I wanted to take go through this morning, um, and and just to, to kind of to share with our listeners. Uh, in relation to, um, you know, Benedictine life and spirituality. But I suppose the last question I'll put to you this morning mm-hmm. is, you know, we, at the moment, we live in a very turbulent world and uh, things are all over the place, if you like. Mm. What would you think, what is the, what, if you like, what is the gift that the world, in, that Ireland today could take from a monastic community? Okay, well... I think that in the world today, monasteries are actually among the most important places. Because, as you say, there are so many people whose lives are touched by sadness, disappointment, failure, struggle, loss, uh, woundedness. And what a monastery offers is very simple. It's a warm welcome, whoever you are and whatever your story in life is. And what we say to people is, Come and be with us and find healing in the word of God that we offer. And that's what a monastery is and does. It's a place where people can come and really listen to the word of God and take from that what they need to hear at that moment in their life. Mm. That's, That's what it's about. Oasis of calm in the midst of a troubled world, one would say. That's what it's supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, why do I get the feeling that, as Abbas, you could have many stories to tell us about community life? (laughs) Well, people are people, whether they're monks or not. (laughs) But it doesn't change. It doesn't change the the. It doesn't change the fact that Mm. um, it is also true that in this monastery, as in every monastery. what lies at the heart is exactly that, that the, the word of God is there mm. and it's shared and it's open and there are no strings attached. And that's, that's the gift that a monastery gives to the world. Father Brendan, listen, thank you so much for coming on to share that with us this morning. And as I said, we had many other things we wanted to discuss with you. We'll have to bring you on again, but thank you for sharing with that with us this morning. Okay. So in this part of the program now, we might just play a bit of music. And the piece of music they've chosen this morning um, is actually sung by the monks of Glenstore. And this one's entitled Benedictus. So let's do this. Oh. 
So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined in studio here by Anne. And Shane is, other, is on the other end of the Skype. And Shane, thank you for, so much for bringing on Father Brendan Coffee, uh, Coffee from Glenstall. What a mm-hmm. wonderful interview, and you'll have to have your man again. Definitely. Well, Glenstall is, you know, they're a great community over there. And I, I, I should have introduced them, of course, as Dom Brendan, because that's what you do for a, for a, for a, for a Benedictine. But they're very laid back. They don't stand on sermon in Glenstall, definitely. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And I know our listeners would. Thanks a lot. But uh, at this part of the program is the most important part of the program where we read and reflect on the Word of God. And before that, Anne will pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Anne. Lord, we thank you for pushing us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this order in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Anne. So the Gospel for today and the third Sunday of the year from the 27th of January, it's actually taken from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, and then it continues on after that from chapter 4, and in chapter 4, from, from verse 14 to 21. Seeing that many others have written down, to, uh, have undertaken to draw up an account of the events that have taken place among us, exactly as they were handed down to us by those who from the outset were witnesses and ministers of the world, of the word, I in my turn, after carefully going over the whole story from the beginning, have decided to write an ordered account for you, Theolopolis, so that your excellency may learn how well founded the teaching is that you have received. Jesus, with the power of the Spirit in him, returned to Galilee, and his reputation spread throughout the countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as he usually did. He stood up to read, and they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord has been given to me, for he has anointed me. He sent me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives, and to the blind new sight, to set the downtrodden free, and to proclaim the Lord's year of favour. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the assistants, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogues in, in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to speak to them. This text has been fulfilled today, even as you listen. 
So that's the gospel for today. Um, Shane, we've only got a few minutes left, about three or four minutes left, unfortunately. Maybe you can offer us a, a few thoughts you might have, please. Yeah, it's a strange kind of a gospel <clears throat> that we're presented with today because, of course, it's taken from the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And it's Luke's gospel that we are going to be journeying with throughout the next liturgical year. And <clears throat> it presents at the top, there's the, the introduction of whom uh, Luke wrote the gospel for. And it is generally accepted it was written um, for a non-Jewish um, congre uh, congregation or readership uh, in terms of presentation. And then we move on, we jump ahead a couple of sections and we move to Jesus's um, ministry starting in the town of Nazareth. And this was after he had called the disciples and he goes back home. And <clears throat> being the Sabbath, he stands up as is the custom and as he was a grown Jew and he re recited from the Torah, from the, from the, the from not, well, from the, the holy books. And he recited, of course, from the prophet Isaiah. And <clears throat> what we have here, of course, is Jesus recognizing or setting out uh, for those that were around him who and what he was. He was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and the great news that that would bring, that the blind would see, the lame would walk, um, you know, and fulfilling the promises that had been made to the whole, through the Jewish people. And I suppose for us this Sunday, what we're looking at here is very much um, a gospel of hope. Again, another gospel that's trying to give us a bit of hope. You know, he has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives and to the blind, and to the blind new sight, and to set the downtrodden free. And <clears throat> I think for us, what we need to reflect on this, this, this Sunday is that is what Christianity is about. It's not necessarily a whole thing of do's and don'ts, but it is supposed to be good news. It is supposed to be a message of joy for us to share with the world. Um, you know, it's, 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 if you like, I, 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 what, was, what was described as a kind of the Nazareth Manifesto, if you were to look at it in political terms, you know, which, which has survived down, not just for the three years of Jesus' public ministry, but right down to the current age. And, you know, it's a roadmap for us that we should, we've received as our legacy, which we should cherish, and which we should aim to pass on to those that come after us. So as we reflect on it on this Sunday's Gospel, I suppose it's a case of thinking, you know, that, if you like, that manifesto that Jesus set out there for us, how well are we, li are we living up to proclaiming that good news? And exactly, I mean, you really echoed exactly what I was thinking about myself, you know. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the thoughts that came to me during the week was, is this text at the heart of what my faith is all about? And just to remind listeners again, just as we, as we finish up the program, the Spirit that the Lord's been giving me, he sent me to bring good news to the poor. We're bringing good news to the poor. We proclaim liberty to captives. We blind to the, uh, to, to the blind new sight. To set the downtrodden free and to proclaim the Lord your favour. All good news. That's at the heart of our faith. Shane, thanks a lot for that. I've got to go because uh, time is up against us. Next week again, we'll have something brand new again here and come and see Inspirations. But we'll go out with a piece of music, which is really all about the gospel that, that we've just heard. It's by John Michael Talbot, and this one is entitled The Spirit of the Lord. So next week from Shane and Anne and myself, God bless you all now. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah.